rinsing. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's not a cliche. It's not a cliche. It is. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking coffee or wine, talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We will not censor ourselves, so this is going to be PG-13. Your hosts today are Chaz Brinchley, John Smith. Schmidt. Your host today... Your blah, blah, blah. Your hosts today are Jeannie Warner, Chaz Brentley, John Brentley. Brentley. See, it's harder than you think. <laughs> it's harder than you think. And Dave Welch. That's all of us. Moving on. Totally hard. This is episode 25, Death by Cliche. The silver episode. Dun, Hi, dun, oh, the silver dun. away. This is, this is our silver anniversary. I this know. is our 25th show. Woo-hoo. For anybody who's out there saying to himself, well, I don't want to watch it until I can like binge watch it or binge listen in an afternoon today is your afternoon dun 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 coincidentally um this is actually something that i dragged everyone to the table saying i want to talk about writing cliches no you want to talk about cliches in writing not about writing cliches well kind of both really can, hard, can hardly be one without the other all right because there's this came up recently and not picking on anybody here but ah. There are a lot of books that I have found written about girls of a certain age. And I wanted to kind of stand up on a soapbox for a little bit here and and talk about it. Because there's words that we associate with women, not men. And then there's words that you associate with men, not women. And I think we might almost be grown up in the world to let some of that go a little bit. I mean, talk about crazy, but... It's crazy. I will never have a heart-shaped face. Girls with heart-shaped faces. You never hear boys with heart-shaped faces, and yet all in Korea has this whole plastic surgery to give little you know, boys with heart-shaped faces. I did not know that. They did. You got to Google. I mean, this is freaky. Go out and Google Korean plastic surgery. It's huge. <laughs> you have plastic surgery done to your kids yep. okay. to give them a certain face. Well, this is also a country that has a fan phobia, though, so. Yes. Fan phobia? <laughs> like. Yes. You mean like um, I mean the kind like, of fan you waft in front no, of I mean electric fan. Really? Yep. <laughs> tell us a story, Dave. <laughs> Did I derail your kind of story? No, no it's fascinating because this is... What we're doing. Um, there is a um, uh, Korean um, urban legend or um, superstition about electric fans that they will suck all the air out of the room, so sometimes they don't use them. You Excellent. can Google it. There you are. And the Google you want to look up is the Korean fan death. And the first article is, is my electric fan going to kill me in my sleep? <laughs> but, what a cliche. But because this had come up recently, so I, I went out to our, uh, our good old Facebook feed and I said, all right, describe yourself in other gendered terms. Yes, you did. I that. And, and I started mm-hmm. off and I, I led the way and said, I am a square jawed, ruggedly handsome woman. It's totally true. People. Which is... Yeah. A cliche when applied to men, of course. Well, just yeah, like it, your, it is. Just like your heart-shaped face. But I didn't know that I had a square-jawed face until Brian Kissinger, who writes these... I hope I didn't mispronounce his name, but he... It's probably Kissinger. He does, these, he does these beautiful cartoons, and he was at the Labyrinth of Jareth, and he did drew a cartoon of me. That was the first time anybody had ever cartooned my face, and like, there it was. A square jaw. And it's like, is that a square jaw? It's like, yes, you have a very square jaw. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I mean, um, well, well, where were you? The Labyrinth of Jareth party I do down in. I don't know what that means. Well, we'll send up, put a link in there. Yeah, it is, it's it's this big to do down. You go down to Hollywood, and it's as if 
Remember the ball from Labyrinth with David Bowie and, you know, it's such a sad. And everybody puts on costumes and they go and there's three different kinds of bands and music around Mm -hmm. and there's dancing and theater and drama and amazing costumes because it's Hollywood and it's just the best time. Fun is had. Fun is had. And Brian was there drawing cartoons and not charging nearly enough until I told him he should double his prices. Hope hope you did there. So I got the last one at 20 and said I would pay 50 for this. But I have a square jaw. Yes, you do. And, you know, there's a lot of women with cleft chins, but why do we never talk about the cleft chins? That's right. It's only Kirk Douglas who has cleft chins. Only Kirk Douglas in, in the yeah. entire – yeah. Whereas he has a dimple in his chin. I don't think it's really cleft, is it? Now, men and women can both have dimples, but why can't... Right. Yeah. See what, see what I mean? This is oh, yeah. How do you describe yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a there woman? Is, there is very much gendered language and gendered description and particularly gendered cliches. Yeah. And yeah. My, my friend Amy described herself as a brusque, gravel-voiced doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> well, yes. animal doctor. <laughs> Does not completely describe her, though. We all contain multitudes, after all. Well, I have a friend, Garrowin, that I describe as having a voice like whiskey and sex. And, mm-hmm. you know, you do, I don't see that. And that's what I mean, is you got to dig a little deeper. I'm just saying that instead of saying that's, you know, button this or that, it's I'm a little bulbous. My nose is a little bulbous. If somebody described it as I have a ski jump nose, and I do. Mm-hmm. And it's okay our heroes and heroines don't have to be perfect. Why don't we just give it something that's descriptive in any way and people will understand that. But you're making a different point. It's not that the heroes and heroines have to be different. It is that the idiom of the language or the idiots of the cliche, (laughs) instantly, if you say heart-shaped, everyone expects the next word to be girl, not woman. If you say haggard, it's going to be old or someone who's been at sea or Merle. But that's a different story, and I'm just—you guys got to save me because I'm four. I, I don't know. I feel like a, you know, I've seen a few women that are toting around seven children that look mighty darn haggard, <laughs> and and a little bit fed up. But witches are either stunningly beautiful or incredibly ugly, except for and uh, I, Ursula Vernon does not write cliches. Oh, thank you, Ursula. We love you. We love you. Um, but anyway. Cliches. I had been appreciating through romance novels mm-hmm. recently that it started saying it's okay for middle aged, slightly heavy set women to have romances. Good Lord. I know, mm-hmm. right? This was, I, I had to describe it to somebody once. I'm like, you may not believe this, but I have slept with a lot of people and I am not skinny. <laughs> I've been a downright tart in my day. And here's, and here's the funny thing guys are not only attracted to really skinny women. Sound off, man. <laughs> I will read you poetry if you just request it. And and slightly larger middle-aged women are sort of in the ballpark. Oh. Sort of pop. To address the middle-aged thing, not necessarily <clears throat> weight or appearance, but I, I think that uh, as the population has aged, it has kind of dragged um, all that. <laughs> it is in its attempt to... Um, remain clawingly backwards towards its youth that has kind of dragged the rest of the population toward it. So in other words, <clears throat> the, the assumed age of um, sexual desirability has, has gone up as our a population has aged. Yeah, but that... Maybe it's not 60 now, but, you know, it used it, to be the early 20s was the thing, and now you see 40-year-old women who are considered desirable. 
That's true. Let's. Oh, I can think of a few of them just off the top. <laughs> I would say Helen Mirren. She's what seventy. Uh, well, yeah, she's she's, she's, ah. she's an outlier. Yeah. She's, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I I say that Sophia Loren set the bar, and will never let it go. Neither, neither will Anne Bancroft. There's just certain Audrey. Audrey I'm talking statistics here, people. You are you're <laughs> citing anecdotal evidence here. I know, but I I think it's it's more dragging up. But then I have. If you have authors describing like females that are heroines, I have, you were just discussing the other day. I was saying I keep running into seventeen-year-old girls. Mm. Chaz, why are why do you guys write about seventeen-year-old heroines? Why seventeen? Because um, they want to fuck them. Because they want to fuck them. Because they are a year older than the minimum allowed, generally. Is this which is more or less sixteen? Is this Meatloaf? She was barely seventeen and she was barely dressed. That is where Meatloaf got it. It is that feeling. Hmm. You know, they are they are older than the, the the minimum, and not yet at the actual point of adulthood, which is generally taken to be eighteen. Except apparently in America, where alcohol is concerned. Oh, I'm sorry, I have to drop that in. Um, <laughs> no apologies needed. Hey, I could. I, I was allowed to drink in Colorado at eighteen. Yes, of course, sir. I at sixteen very carefully looked up the law and said, "Ah, sixteen is the age of legal consent in Colorado." Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. no, but they are peripheral, but not actually illegal. Yeah. Um, which is a thing. I, I still maintain there is something more inherently attractive about odd numbers. Huh. Than even numbers. Um, Seventeen. I, I mean, this is. You can about, see. I can see this in my own work, and it's possibly an aspect of my own laziness. I'm much more inclined to write about seventeen-year-olds or nineteen-year-olds than I am eighteen-year-olds. Does that include for boys? Oh yeah, hell yeah. Hmm. I would also hold though that seventeen-year-old boys and seventeen-year-old girls are at very different psychosexual emotional phases. Yes, absolutely they are. And here's here's one that I wanna I wanted to throw out here and it's gonna hurt a bunch of guys listening probably. Girls start having periods as young as nine. These days, yes. Yeah. Now and they, they still were as young as twelve, I mean hundreds of years ago. Sure. So this has been it's as early as nine now, but that's only crept down. Yeah. It's, Girls are forced to maturity faster than boys. We, they mature emotionally faster as well. It's yeah. Pretty so, well documented. So So this is where I've been having a challenge of the infantiz- uh, infantilization. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the infantilization of the seventeen year old girl. Yes. Bugs me. I, I'm not at all surprised. I mean, that, that was another thing that I sort of, when I was, you know, reading, I had to stop and I went again to my trustee. I know hundreds and hundreds of women on Facebook. I want to ask this question. I'm like, so let's discuss crying. Do people write that women characters cry more than men and why? Because I've been a manager of engineers and I came home and said, what the fuck is it with engineers crying on me? They all cry. <laughs> you have a square jaw. <laughs> uh, this square jaw was made this to be cried jaw. near. <laughs> your honey-colored skin combined with your, your square jaw. You're talking about software engineers. Software engineering reeks of despair. What? <laughs> The, the cliche is, is that girls cry and boys don't cry, right? Yes. Girls well, hold themselves on their bed and sob <coughs> heartbreakingly. But men weep. Reluctantly. Reluctantly, they weep. There. Because I, I want you to know that I think every single human being listening to this has, at one time or another, gotten teary with the frustration of wanting to choke the living shit out of somebody who deserved it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever just been, oh, all the hands went up in the room. <laughs> Well, like, that's you, that's that's angry, frustrated, crying. I yes. want 
to choke you, you and it's not allowed. We have, a, we have a bunch of sword artists and martial artists here of various kinds. And one of the, the instant lessons is at some point you're going to cry. You're either going to be in pain or you're going to be really frustrated. Or you're going to be really joyful or you're just going to hit some weird emotional state and you're going to cry. Be ready for it. Because if you're not ready for it, it's weird. But once you realize that, yeah, and get off, get out of the sword way and get your protective gear off because cleaning snot out of it sucks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I spent yeah. 30-odd years and then I did some heavy weapons and then I played a lot of hockey. And I can tell you that the only people who have never cried in their helmet are liars. <laughs> exactly. Now, vomiting in helmet is different. And vomiting is different and less well, cliche. But Going back to the cliches, it's... There is the you you've hit. I won't say the Ur myth just because I like saying the Ur myth. Say it. The, say it. The, I love the way you say it. Not the Ur myth. Is it that is a too recent. No, uh, and it is actually attributing the that the past had this when really it's. I think it's Victorian and later. Although you know, me calling something Victorian is weird. The the presumption that females are innocent and white canvases. And um, sugar and spice and boys are rough and tumble and almost men. Snips and snails and puppy dog tails, Which I think. is ridiculous. Wait, that's that like... These are the two cliches we're talk- we've talked about in the last... This is like that really horrific article I just saw by about some... I presume he was a musician type person oh, that was like wanted to test and find out if his daughter was a virgin or not. Every year he takes her to, to her gynae and sits in while... She's oh, sits in. Sits is, in. Um, he is there. Oh my What's god! Yes. I don't know. Oh, All I can think of is initials. And I does he have care. a son? Does he take his son in and have a proctologist check his asshole for uh, virginity? Because well, it's not the same. How? Women have a hymen. That's yeah. what you're checking. But maybe, and you can't let her ride a horse, a bicycle, a motorcycle, or do any gymnastics then. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's medically ridiculous to try and assert virginity by means of, of intact hymen. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Yes, but it, it, well, political, political. It plays into a certain subset of innocent young women who have no clue because nobody's told them. And the cliched construct of virginity, I just had to say cliched. Yeah, it is. And I don't know, hurts a little bit my own way to see that. But but it's, it's, it's creepy and the virginity of boys doesn't seem to matter. And if we say as... You know, when people are writing about these different things, I, John Cougar Mellencamp wrote, hold on to 16 as long as you can. Jack and Diane were having sex. I have no idea. No, Jack. let me take off. Oh, my God. Here's a little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. <laughs> yeah. They do the best that they can. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jackie's going to be a football star. <laughs> Don't worry. It's Diane, Diane it's one debutante of the in the back American seat of Jackie's songs. car. It's got to be in the bottom ten. <laughs> okay. Are you kidding? It always gets the whole locker room. He wrote, it, he wrote it in an hour on the back of an envelope, supposedly. supposedly. And it uh, it has all the earmarks of being quickly written. And but it, but it's funny. If you, if you say this is... Is a song of the heartland of America mm-hmm. that's so worried about their daughter's virginity at the same time they're singing about how she's trying to best to get laid at 16 because uh, mm-hmm. every girl I knew was mm-hmm. trying her best to get laid at 16. Sorry, dads of the world out there. You don't get to pick. And what happens if she does? Do you throw her out of the house? Do you disown her? What do you well, think? Well, according to the Old Testament, rock on. Have her stoned to death or some damn thing. I can't remember. All right. So I just want to say right now, we'll set up We Girl We Fund Me for U-Hauls to get you the hell out of your parents' houses because that's creepy as fuck. <laughs> but some of it is sexual attractiveness of how people describe. We were just also thinking skin. Mm-hmm. 
When a character in a book is interested in another character, they describe them with food. That is, it's it's the it's not just it's not just sexual interest. Um, the classic complaint of all my friends of color is that they're only ever described in terms of food. Yeah, you know, she was caramel, caramel colored. Colored. Mm-hmm. His his skin was the color of cinnamon. I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. Peaches huh? and cream. Peaches mm-hmm. and cream. Girls right. have been peaches and cream for hundreds of years. Milky so we got it here. Milky White. Or, or, um, Mr. Wednesday from American Gods. Do you remember him talking about women's breasts as large, round, blue vein cheeses? I do not, but I'm sure that he did. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. I'm saying it's not specifically for colored. I just want to make them aware. I, I have I have olive oil colored skin. I think I was deciding it was an olive really? oil. Ma- yeah, I would not use an olive oil of that color. You know, it's <laughs> olive oil is translucent. You're not translucent. It's a little green. Yeah. Well, I said there was something odd about you. <laughs> okay, it was ho- olive oil mixed with, with honey then. So I'm a honey-colored oh, skin. Yes, you are. And I've heard that. I've heard honey yeah. and peaches and cream. Mm, yeah, and, no, totally. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and when they go, it's alabaster just describes something that's beautiful, but you're never going to touch it. So you can't alab- it. alabaster mm-hmm. means you can't eat it. They're never getting laid in this story. Yeah. So it's inverse right. Finnish coffee. Yeah. yeah. Jeannie told me once that in any movie... Um, in any Finnish movie, Finnish in any cinema. Finnish movie, if if they are invited or they have coffee in the next scene, they will be having sex. Because okay. it's the we should have coffee sometime. The very next scene, they're screwing like rabbits. So that's yeah. how I know Finnish coffee, coffee means. I, I you have know. I have one counterexample that unfortunately, when I looked at it again, proves your point. Did it? Oh yeah, you were trying to prove me wrong, and you proved me right. Get to the having the coffee, so they never get to have the sex. But he invites her out to have coffee. And, she says she loves coffee, would love to have coffee with him, and also maybe a bun. And I have, I, yeah. Well, there, if it's buns, I tell you, woo! And then, they, yeah, heavy trip. Anyway, moving on. But a lot of that is, when I'm going back to the how we describe races and genders and all of this thing, there is a lot of right laziness in it. And it's made me go back and re-examine things. Like, I loved Ben Aronovich's Rivers of London, for turning that on the male gaze, the male white heterosexual gaze on its side, because the first time he said these two white guys walked into the bar, uh-huh. it just went, what? <laughs> yes, but that is absolutely the London experience. I don't think I've ever been in a more multi- multiculturally diverse city. Mm-hmm. Except for maybe Sunnyvale. Uh, no. no. <laughs> you are. Well, it depends on where I am in Sunnyvale, but there's been uh, a lot of places where no, it's like, oh, look, the white guy. I, Sunnyvale is geek. Okay. You know, I, Sunnyvale is not culturally diverse. I don't know where you've been in Sunnyvale, but. Maybe it's just I walk into rooms all the time and there's like uh, no white guys in it. So We're racially diverse. Yeah. But uh, we're tech racially diverse. If you want culturally diverse. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to Toronto? I have been to Toronto. Yeah. I had a lovely time in Toronto. I, I went for a walk. I was, I was staying in this little hotel between the red light district and the and, and the gay village. Mm-hmm. Um, Queen Street. And, 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 and I went for a walk mm-hmm. um, at about sort of three o'clock in the morning because jet lag, hello. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, oh, this is nicely edgy. I like this. <laughs> um, until I realized that all those little groups of people huddling on street corners 
were only waiting for the lights to change so they could cross the road legally, although there was no traffic <laughs> at all. Canadians are very polite and law, but yes, I think it's, yes. it's amazing. Well, I was more like interested in your views on the diversity of the city, but... Um, yeah, I, tragically, I was there for a mystery writers conference mm. in the early 1990s, mm. um, which was a very white oh. community at the time. Yeah. Um, is just it, walking around the city. I yeah. think I, the first time I went to Toronto yeah. in the early 1990s, yeah. and I was, I think it's probably the most diverse city I'd ever been to at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then you are from Iowa. Yes, it's true. I do not deny that. <laughs> is there more diversity in mystery and thriller writing now than there used yes, to be? Yes, Okay. So. Yeah. That's an interesting thing, because there's definitely more in romance. Yeah. There's definitely more in science fiction. Yeah. We have, there's definitely more in comics, and there's... Um, uh, what the heck yeah, I can rant. There's a lot of idiots trying to push back against it because they're uncomfortable with the potential of change when mm -hmm. you have a choice whether you buy or read a book. Nobody is forcing you to read diverse things. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's some wonderful stuff. The fact that Ursula Vernon has a character who is a they-them. And I don't I, know if it's NB or... It, because it just never comes up in the story. The, the you, should, you should translate NB for the benefit of our listeners. Oh, uh, non-binary. Thank you. Good point. I don't know uh, what what is widely accepted, what is known. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, I, I don't actually know if the characters and the it does not matter. Now that's okay. that's a good point because um, I mean it, the fact that it doesn't matter is interesting because the the standard has seemed to seems to have always been that you don't really know um, you can't really form a picture in your mind of the character unless you know whether it's male or female or what it looks like. Or it's a lot like um, when you're making small talk with somebody, the first thing you want to know is what they do for a living, because that kind of defines them at that level of um, surface level interaction. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and totally. the surface level interaction in reading a book is, can I draw a mental picture of them? And if you give them a non-binary description, yeah, but it's C. It's, it is also, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's not just in books. It is our human normality. We you know, we see a figure walking towards us. We expect to be able to tell if it's man or woman, and we don't genuinely think of. Oh no, I don't know. I was down in Brisbane once, yeah. and we were sitting up, and we were we were trying to play the the male or female. Yeah. And I was with a friend who was down there who knew everybody because his his girl uh, was a dancer. Sure. And so he was telling us, you know, Dave and I were sitting there guessing, and he was like, nope. Nope. Yep. Because so, <laughs> I mean, that was why I wrote. Uh, I wrote the Rising Sun as a story of. A, I never identified the protagonist, the, sure. the narrator, yeah, yeah. as male or female, because sure. it didn't matter. Because yeah, but yeah. My, my point is that it matters to the listener, and they're going to be on. I mean, you might even use this to good effect in your story, but they're going to they're going to wonder, and they're going to be on edge until they find out. And if they never find out, that is um, a salient point of the story. Yeah. Is it a salient point of the story? And, and, and I think it keeps coming down to the, ah, are we over-sexualized then? I mean, I presume that we're um, just going to go with that. And yeah. Well, yeah I'm, I mean, not, I, I, I'm not convinced sorry. it's just gender, but I mean, that's a prime uh, example. Yeah. Well, I I, think, I, go ahead. Okay. Um, my story, Live at Marley's, that I mm -hmm. read for this very podcast a few episodes ago, we'll put a link in. You can buy a t-shirt. <laughs> you can buy a t-shirt. I have a t-shirt of a story. It's delightful. Thanks, Jazz. Um, <laughs> the, the narrator protagonist of that story is 
neither named nor gendered. Um, and and I did. It's that. not the devil. I presumed it was the devil. Of course, you did. Um, <laughs> people bring their own presumptions, but yep. it was it was interesting because I it was translated into Spanish for the Mexican market, mm-hmm. um, and it oh, was I, something I, I I had to talk with them about because they didn't have an option for oh, yeah, not establishing gender, right. Um, so in fact, they just went with female, whereas my See, now I'm curious. had always we, been male. But uh, hey, we've got to talk to somebody multicultural to yes. find out how they yes. are talking about this in other languages. Yes. So if you're out there and you want on this, uh, we want you to uh, come and be a star on this. Yes. So we can talk can about translators. This. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in romance languages or other gendered languages. Gendered, yes. yeah. Or indeed non-gendered languages. Um, I was in Taipei the first time, mm-hmm. and and I was walking around the streets with this young woman who she was pretty much as well educated as you get she she had studied english all her life she was fresh out of university she was working as an interpreter um and every now and then i would stop because there would be a a plaque in chinese characters on the wall saying something interesting potentially interesting and i'd ask her what it said and there were there were two things about that um Sometimes she just couldn't tell me because you can't, if you don't know a character, you can't work it out just by looking at it. Um, and the, you know, the, if, if, if your vocabulary is 40,000 characters, then there's 20,000 characters you don't know and something like that. Um, I lose words all the time. I respect yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And the other thing was that she would occasionally make absolutely basic gender mistakes between he and she, because the Chinese doesn't doesn't differentiate. It's hmm. it's weirdly non-gendered for such a gendered culture. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that would be because of the you know how you describe things by sexual attractiveness. This was a little bit how Kate Elliott said she was. Somebody said she was advancing the homosexual agenda because she had a female character that looked at a man like a delicious piece of meat. And this is the homosexual agenda. Yes, this is the homosexual because, because she did not clearly delineate that the protagonist was female. Oh, okay, I get you. Yeah. Well, she even did. No, no, this was one where she did, and she's like, but it was how she described it. She described it in such a way that a guy got a little turned on and then bothered then, by the fact that he was turned on at this <laughs> description of a guy. Describing what happens in the omniscient press. Yes. Okay, I'm looking it up. Okay. Right. We don't but, have time for that. <laughs> But that's what I was, you know, it saying in terms of the how we though, the food Sorry. metaphor, the age metaphor. We were we were talking about crying and how women cry was how I wanted to say. You want to talk and the, about and the language and the sobbing, mm-hmm. and it's, and so I went out and it was funny because there were guys that sounded off as like, oh yeah, I totally sob. Right, okay. Do do we write I, in that men sob in books? Um, Why is it? It's very no. gendered language. But, yeah, but I think I think it's sufficiently gendered that most men would not want to admit that they sobbed. Yeah. Um, I'm willing to confess that I cried. Yeah, uh, but cried sobbing, my, I, I cried my yeah, eyes sure. out. So mm-hmm. sobbing is is more. So do you think we have ugly cry now means yeah, sobbing? Exactly. That's, that's exactly what <laughs> I it totally means. ugly cried all over yeah. it, man. Yeah. <laughs> because. Somebody else was saying sobbing in words like, I don't like you, she sobbed. Yeah. Um, would be, that yeah. would have to come on, I don't like, I mean, really? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, but that's that that that's that that shifts us into that whole dialogue delineator mm. conversationy thing, which is probably, I like your observation about ugly cry. That yes. that is sexist at its core. Is it? Think? Oh, uh, could be, but but everybody ugly cries. Okay, so. but. I rather mm. like it because yeah. um, I mean it's new. It's new to me. Yeah, well, um, I think uh, it's new as in kind of internet. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly my point. Yes, um, and, and it's a way to talk. You see, I don't think it's gendered. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's been around long enough to be gendered. If we leave it there long enough, then undoubtedly it will get pushed onto the women. And well, maybe it's because ugly is, is gendered. Well, it's, there's, it's loaded. There's yeah. also we don't talk about men crying at all. So naturally, crying has a slant towards the feminine just because, well, okay. you know, men shed a tear. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. The, at the end of Tombstone, they talked about carrying out, you know, the real-life body of Wyatt Earp mm-hmm. and how Tom Mix, a famous movie star, was one of the characters. And they say at the end, Tom Mix wept. Okay. Mm-hmm. So clearly men weep, and it's mm-hmm. okay because – and it was this, dram- this yes. dramatic thing that this yes. iconic male, yes. rugged, square-jawed, yes. ruggedly well, handsome guy – Yeah, ended. but you're, you're putting that on him, though. It's not him admitting that he wept. It's you saying, well, he wept, therefore and, – and the reason it's effective is because men don't weep. Well, it was, but it would have never occurred to them. This is what I'm pausing to say. Tom Mix sobbed. Okay. Even yeah, if you did. That's right. probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where I'm just going to say that sobbing has a certain lack of control associated totally. with it. Right. Yes. And the whole thing is, and, and when I went out and asked friends and I said, where do you sob? So I'm just going to give this clue to everybody out there. The results of our unscientific <laughs> poll, <laughs> women sob into their pillows. Certainly. Women sob in the shower where nobody can see or hear us. Okay. And there was the few collapsing and sobbing was you do it once under extreme dramatic circumstances and not in public. Mm-hmm. It's still, there's an era, aura of private to that loss of control. Anything else is you hold it together sure. and you get home and you sob in private. Sure. Because sobbing is a very vulnerable state. Yeah, you are no longer in control. Mm-hmm. And so public, what is public is an interesting thing. We all cry. Anyone cries in the bathroom? We all cry in the bathroom. Whether or not you're, they're staring at me, but... You, you've we're, all we're not allowed to admit <laughs> go through a company going through multiple layoffs yeah go uh-huh. sit in the bathroom and listen to the software engineers cry yeah yeah and hardware engineers cry yeah okay. well dave dave's already told us that it's because you know engineers in general are they're sensitive emotional souls mm-hmm. no i did not say that you're putting words in my mouth again it's probably what you said can i throw so. a different cliche curve at this yes yeah. is everyone here aware of the Bulwer Lytton Fiction Contest. Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. It was a dark and stormy night. Uh-huh. The captain was standing on the door. Oh, wait, that's... I have, been, I have been shown around Nesborough, which was um, Bulwer Lytton's family home, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. by his great-great-whatever-grandson, mm-hmm. um, who, who paused in the hallway and gestured at the stairs and says, that is where Charles Dickens performed for us. <laughs> it was just gorgeous. <laughs> um, the house... Used to be lovely, and Buller Lytton rendered it horrible um, because he—I he, mean, he, he thrived in the Victorian era, um, and he was wholly Victorian Gothic in manner and style. Have you read his books? Mm-hmm. Um, but also architecture. So he, but also architecture. He has all these. I mean, it was, it was a perfectly lovely Georgian house, mm-hmm. and now it has gargoyles and turrets, and <laughs> and it's horrible. 
Yeah. I think I would outside. love it. I'm going to have to go I look think at we pictures. I would all love it. We need to I'm going to go find it. pictures and I'll post them. I reserve judgment. I am going to read the, the Grand Panjandrum's special award, even if I can't pronounce it. Excellent. It's a horrible pun. So I've been warned. Buller-Litton.com slash 2019. Emile Zola wandered the dank and soggy streets of a gloomy Parisian night. The injustice of the Dreyfus affair weighing on him like a thousand baguettes. <laughs> Dreaming of some massage or therapy to relieve the tension and pain in his aching shoulders and back. When suddenly he thought of his Italian friends and their newly invented warm water bath with air jets. And he rapturously exclaimed in that off-misquoted declaration, <laughs> Jacuzzi! Of course he did. Robert R. Moore, North Falmouth, Massachusetts. Well Wait, done, Was Robert. that the winner? Yep. No, that's the grand, the winner. <laughs> the grand prize. Can, 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 I, can I just explain to the listeners, because they, some of them won't actually know. Um, Buller Litton famously wrote a novel that began, It Was a Dark and Stormy, Stormy Night. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Buller Litton competition has been set up um, in order for people to write the worst opening sentence of a novel that they conceivably can. Mm-hmm. I so, should compete. My first attempt is yeah. awful. <laughs> the 2019 Grand Prize for the Buller Lytton Fiction Contest, which is, by the way, local San Jose State Literature Department started it. Mm. Space Fleet Commander Brad Brad sat in silence, surrounded by the slowly dissipating cloud of smoke maintaining the same forlorn frown that had been fixed upon his face since he'd accidentally destroyed the phenomenon known as time 13 inches ago. <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell Archer, Mount Pleasant, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, nice. Mr. or Ms. Archer. That's magnificent. Thank you, Archer. Thank you, Archer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it's... So there, it's 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 cliche. There was even a book called Death by Cliche, which I thought was fabulous for gamer terms of how to, as you're yep. writing a game, how to avoid writing two-dimensional bad guys and how to write, you know, sure. shopkeepers that only have one purpose in life is to impart this information, but then have mm-hmm. no, their cardboard. Mm-hmm. And so how do you make rounded characters all the way through and so as as the character of death by cliche travels through suddenly all of the npcs he encounters for the first time encounter free will like the despotic ruler discovers that well if we put all of these slaves in the mines then nobody will work the field so that makes no sense And he he suddenly tries to be a fairer, more decent ruler because the previous, you know, what was written in the book just doesn't really work in terms of a... And so, I mean, whether it's got to be world building or character building, you really need to stop and say, okay, you know, if you're not going to have a character, it's not going to collapse sobbing in the middle of a large, you know, unless somebody walks in and hands the, your your beloved wife of 30 years has died and here's her pearls. What? Or possibly here's her head. Here's her head, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which but, even there's a movie where that happens actually, <laughs> and uh, the guy just—I mean—he goes all murderous rather than sobbing because he's a guy. Because he's yeah. a guy, and played by Brad Pitt, Pittman, who, who seldom sobs. Right. Um, but but no, I mean, basically, Ginny, I think you just described the craft and craft and art of writing. Oh no. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's about world building, it's about character building, and it's about language. And and in all three of those, avoiding the cliche is simply part of the job, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I, I think that's been the books that I've picked up and tried to read and just couldn't. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. been the, I, it, it's too much. I, you know, we need and to expound further. Um, avoiding those cliches in all of those arenas requires effort. Yes, it does. So laziness so, will not be rewarded. Right. So, so the definition of lazy writing, QED, is... Is, is, follow, is, is follow, following the tracks that have been so thoroughly stamped in right. beforehand. Right. Mark like, my footsteps, good my page. It's like walking through the snow. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. We will put links to the stories and the interesting things and contests that we uh, mentioned throughout this at our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter. We would be delighted if you guys would all take part of our next polls as we go out to find what you all think and noticed about uh, different ideas. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm from your hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on ManyHatsMusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy awesome WDC swag, including the new Live at Mally's t-shirt. 